guest. Chad, welcome to Outward Unleashed. How are you, sir? Pretty good. I want to start off real quickly in saying I have some serious medical problems. So if you see me making some strange movements or strange sounds, I'm dealing with pain. I took a lot of painkillers before this started, but just to have appreciated. Yeah, sorry to hear that. I hope I hope you uh, I hope the the gods of pain have mercy on you for the next thirty minutes or so. Anyway, uh, but if you're feeling up to it, maybe you could just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. I mean, you're known as the TikTok fugitive. Uh, maybe that's the place to start. Yeah, I'm wanted by the FBI and Interpol for 17 years now. They have tried to extradite me three times from multiple countries and failed. They have tried abductions. That has failed. They got caught. I spent time in five different Bulgarian prisons during my first extradition request. And uh, yeah, we only got half an hour, so I'm going to give you shortish answers. Just feel feel free to rapid fire at me otherwise, because if I go on, we'll be here five, six hours. Well, I mean, maybe, well, I've just got that train of thought. I think many, many of the viewers and listeners would be very interested to hear what the inside of a Bulgarian prison is like. I mean, I mean, that, that sounds terrifying to me. How, how long were you in these prisons? What are the conditions? What was your experience? I was in and out for about three months until I finally was able to have the extraditions denied and leave Bulgaria, but they were pretty bad. I mean, the, there was no heat. It was Bulgarian winter. I used to work for Orkin, which is a pest control company. I don't know if they're in the UK. And I've never seen so many roaches as I did in, in that, those prisons, man. We used to play roach games. We'd try and race them. You could use dead roaches, <laughs> dead roaches as poker chips, but sometimes they weren't dead and they'd crawl away. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of food. We were locked in our rooms 24 hours a day. Nobody spoke any English. So, yeah, it, it was it was an ordeal. <laughs> and what was the guard situation like? Is this were these people in any way friendly or helpful? Yeah, the guards were actually very friendly and they, oh, they tried to help wherever they could with, uh, they realized the realities of the Bulgarian prison system and the guards did what they could within their abilities to to help out. So yeah, sure, they were great. So explain to us how you get, or you end up in a, in, a, in a prison in a foreign country due to charges made against you in the United States. How does that work just from a, a legal perspective? Well, I left the United States in early 2001 so I, I'd already lived overseas by that point. That was eight years later. And uh, I went to a conference because I'm, I'm also former Microsoft. I had a senior position at Microsoft. I had a territory of 85 countries. I was also Microsoft regional director worldwide and so forth. So I was traveling to a conference and five Interpol agents showed up at my door and arrested me. And they told me that I was wanted for kidnapping, which was quite a surprise to me because I'd never kidnapped anybody. And then they told me the kidnapping happened on November 6, 2006 which was even a bigger surprise because I was not in the United States in November 2006. I have not been in the United States since June 2006. And in June 2006, I was only there for one week and I wasn't even in the same state. They said the kidnapping happened. So, yeah. So is this uh, some sort of really poor administrative error in terms of dates and times or is there something more sinister going on here? It's far more sinister. I know a lot of people like to put this off as, oh, it's just a mistake and they're covering it up. No, once you read the indictment, which got unsealed, they clearly knew they were lying when they did this and they absolutely framed me. Let me give you a little bit of background. First of all, they're accusing me of kidnapping my son, which I had full custody of. But before everybody tunes out and says, oh, custody case, give me a second. First of all, they forged my son's birth state to be Pennsylvania state of Tennessee so that they could involve another court to create conflicting court documents. My son had already lived in Europe for several years by the time they said I kidnapped him. It gets better. On the FBI website, they say that I'm from Titusville, a city I've never lived in or even spent the night in. So they lied about my whereabouts in November 2006. They lied about where my son was born. They lied about where I'm from. And just a few weeks prior to the alleged kidnapping, my son had been in the United States to visit his mother for a summer visitation. 
And at the end of the summer, she didn't return him. So a judge had police take him away from her. And the police put him on a plane back to London. And then I get charged with kidnapping by the same freaking judge a few weeks later. Was she, did he, was he transferring via London or was that where he lived at the time? He was just transferring through London. We lived in at that time in Cyprus. Got you. Okay. I mean, this it sounds like an ordeal for sure, but I suppose a lot of people get looking at it and trying to give it the sniff test would say this, this seems like a lot of effort uh, from, you know, big American organizations, FBI, Interpol, things like that. A lot of effort for what's essentially a custody dispute. What, why so yep. much effort to, to make your life hell? Yeah, nobody believes that, including me anymore. I used to just, you know, although I always enjoyed looking conspiracy theories, I never really indulged in them, but I have all the conspiracy, none of the tinfoil. And I have court documents to prove everything I've said from multiple countries and so forth, including the time the FBI tried to abduct my son from a foreign country and tried to come after me as well. So we only have short time, so I'll try and delve into this. And I know this sounds crazy, but when I work for Microsoft, my territory is Middle East and Africa. And so I traveled throughout Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. When I was interrogated, they would not shut up about my Pakistan. So the U.S. Embassy, when they interrogated me, they would just not shut up about my Pakistan trips. And among other things, they were trying to pin everything on me. And as far back as 2002, they swatted our house in Cyprus. They told Cyprus we were drug dealers, which we weren't. And, uh, we, you know, so that was a big ordeal. I'd been picked up with the TSA on trips starting in 2001. So basically, as soon as I left, I moved out of the U.S. in 2001, I started getting a lot of interest from intelligence agencies. I was picked up by the KGB, now known as the FSB, but most Westerners know it as the KGB. So I'm just going to call them the KGB. I've been picked Sorry, up by the KGB to, in question. Just to jump in while I'm still thinking about this issue. I mean, yep. when you say you left in 2001, that's that's a huge year for the USA, security-wise. Uh, did you leave before or after 9-11? I left before. I left well before, well over six months before that. I was already living in Russia when 9-11 happened. And yep. I left because of the I didn't like the erosions of civil liberties. And I had been wanting to get out of the US for a while. And I had just separated from my wife. So it was a good time to get out. I had job opportunities and so forth. So I ended up moving to Russia. And when I worked for Microsoft, there were three foreign intelligence agencies that tried to recruit me. Um, and I know how crazy it sounds, but we think on behalf of the CIA, and I'm going to get to where the rest of the smoke is, because the CIA prefers to recruit people who have a cover, than develop a cover for somebody they've recruited. And I was in and out of Pakistan, Saudi Arabia. I was hitting three or four, sometimes five or six countries a week, every, every day, a different country on behalf of Microsoft. And, Sorry, what uh, was you doing in those countries? What, I mean, what, what sort of position did you have that would necessitate you traveling around the Middle East that, that often? Well, my territory, I was a regional developer advisor for Middle East and Africa. So the Middle East and Africa was my territory. I was doing um, public speaking at conferences. I was doing software development, architecture training. I was liaisoning with governments. So I was all the time I would meet with members of, you know, the cabinet of Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. I've met with members of the royal family of Saudi Arabia. So I, I got wined and dined everywhere I went because they always wanted to treat the Microsoft guy who was coming to talk to them well. Did you, uh, you speak any Middle Eastern languages? I speak a tiny bit of Arabic. I don't really speak it, but I mean, I, I can go into a restaurant and I can order food and I can say hello and I can tell a taxi, you know, left, right, and go here, that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't say I really speak it. I speak a little bit of a lot of languages. Like Greek, I can read a bit because we lived in Cyprus. The only language that I can say that I speak confidently, and it's not even fantastic, but it's enough, is Russia because I lived in Russia. And I got picked up by the KGB, as we said, and so forth. So since we're short on time, I just want to jump straight in. The reason the smoke and the reason we think they're after me, and this part I can't prove, but there are a lot of things that I can prove that point to this being the case. When I moved to Russia in 2001, I started getting a lot of attention from a lot of foreign intelligence agencies. And I ended up on the KGB watch list, as well as the FBI watch list, the Canadian watch list, the European watch list, a lot of different watch lists, because I married a Russian citizen. And I lived in a town in Russia, in Siberia, that used to be a closed town to foreigners. 
and I've been on the factory grounds, not in like the private areas, just in the lounges and the front yards and things of a factory that produced Russian military fighters. And my wife's parents were both engineers who worked directly on the fighters. And so the working theory is that some stupid, naive CIA agent had a wet dream and thought they could recruit me to turn on her wife's parents. It was never going to happen. I never had any access and I was never going to turn on them anyways. I hate all governments alike, whether it's Russian or American or whatever. So I was not going to become a spy. But we think that possibly they wanted to turn me. They tried to recruit me. I kept turning them down. They saw the custody problem I was having. So they greased the wheels and pushed an FBI agent who was an idiot down the chute to do all this stuff. And then they got so far dug in. Now they're just covering it up. I mean, I hope you don't mind me asking specifically, but I mean, you mentioned, obviously, this is your ex-wife now. I mean, you've just mentioned then you had, um, I mean, have you, I I mean, people on the outside looking would be thinking, well, this is, this is coming and being orchestrated by her. Have you ever had any sort of input or reason from her to suggest that she feels you are an abductor? At all? What's her oh, she just hates me. Oh, no. She, she, the thing is, the reason I had custody is she actually kidnapped him twice before and ran off them. So the judge had transferred full custody to me because they don't send kids overseas easily. And so right. she had been in, she had violated so many freaking court orders and the judge had warned her so many times that the judge transferred custody to me and sent him to live with me overseas. And he had already been living overseas for several years in Europe by that point. Okay. And he, this is uh, your son. I believe he lives in the vicinity of where you are now with you as well. And the, your relationship's great. Yeah, we live in the Caribbean. We've lived here since early 2008. And um, he's 27 now. And he's been he's done news interviews in the United States on ABC and Fox News, uh, the affiliate ones. And he's like, I'm not missing. They're like, we don't care. They wouldn't so take his poster down. What's they the wouldn't problem? even take his poster down. His poster was listed in the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Even after the interviews, they wouldn't take him down. He'd call him. He'd say, I'm an adult. I'm not missing. They wouldn't take him down. The U.S. Embassy, he went to the U.S. Embassy twice to renew his passport as an adult, and he was listed as missing, and they renewed his passport. It's like, if he's missing, and the FBI was here. They tried to kidnap him when he was 13, so they said that only a court order could get his poster taken down. But I got his poster taken down because last year, July 1st, almost a year ago now, I did a, a TikTok which went viral, and I tagged the National Center of Missing Exploited and Children. They took his poster down within 24 hours and then blocked me, and people have been calling them to ask them, if the child was found where he was and they won't answer the questions at all because they know that there's a civil suit coming towards them, but I can't sue while I'm a fugitive. Okay. I mean, so if I, if I was going to reach for my tinfoil hat here uh, and just look at the information on the outside, it's, I mean, the red flags for me are already there in terms of how a, a government CIA agent obsessed with security may think, you know, you travel in and out the middle East, uh, you know, a little bit of Arabic, um, and they may have you flagged as perhaps an extremist, somebody who's planning something, somebody who's informing extremists, etc. You know, post 9-11 or pre-9-11, a lot of chatter, a lot of knee-jerk reactions to things. That's one of the reasons I start to take my shoes off when I come to visit America, annoyingly, um, in the airport, that is. And maybe they're using this custody thing as a cover to bring you back on different charges that we're unaware of and you're not sharing with us. Uh, so that they can keep their security operations out of the public eye. Well, how would you respond to something like that? Yeah, that's the theory is that they wanted to get me into their custody so they could say, listen, you refused all of our recruitment attempts through our allies. So we'll let you out of prison if you turn on your wife's parents or that's the best working theory. There could be other theories too, but the best working theory based on all the smoke and the evidence that we do have tends to point to that because all my problems started pretty much immediately after I moved to Russia. I mean, can you can you think of any other custody case that has generated this amount of manpower? And, you know, yeah. obviously it's costing a lot of money to the taxpayer as well. Millions. OK, so 
I mean, that, that's the, the massive thing. That's the big question mark, isn't it? There doesn't seem to be a satisfying answer to that. Oh, they've you, accused you yourself me. are speculating. They've also accused me when I was in Bulgaria and the extraditions failed, they accused me of entering Bulgaria on a fake passport. It wasn't. It was a legitimate passport. We held the documentation to prove it. We had coordination from the governments here in the Caribbean. They've accused me of being a drug dealer both here in the Caribbean and in Cyprus. They've accused me of human trafficking. They literally just throw things out there whenever, whenever the extraditions fail. They just throw new things out there without actually coming up with formal charges. And my charges were created in a secret federal indictment. So like with Trump, I'm not going to get into the whether it's good or right or wrong. But everybody knew his indictment was coming. They talked to his lawyers ahead of time. And that's normal. Normally before a federal indictment, even though that's done in secret behind closed doors, they come to the defendant and they say, listen, we're planning on indicting you. Do you want to do a plea bargain? Do you have anything you can defend yourself? They talk to the lawyers. And unless it's a terrorism case or something big, they don't uh, do it in secret. In my case, they never even contacted any of my lawyers. They completely indicted me in secret. And they could have come after me here in the Caribbean, but they didn't. They could have got me in France. They didn't. They could have got me in Belgium, Netherlands. But they knew I was going to Bulgaria six months later. So they waited till I went to Bulgaria to purposely get me in the worst possible prison they could. They did all this completely in secret. With, I mean, they never even came to me like, hey, we're coming after kidnapping. It's just like, boom, I got arrested and it was all done in secret. That's not normal. And my Interpol file is unpublished. So you won't find that on the Interpol website because it's an unpublished file. Again, normally only reserved for terrorists. And when I was in Bulgaria, they told the prison guards and the government of Bulgaria all kinds of nasty things to the point that the prison guards nicknamed me the American Taliban. Right. Well, I've got a question in the chat for you. They've asked, uh, accused asked, how did you tell the FBI about others trying to recruit you? Oh, I didn't tell the other, I didn't tell the FBI about others trying to recruit me. So, but you, people have tried to recruit you on both sides here, yeah. haven't they? Is basically the truth of it. And I suppose that that would be a legitimate vein of inquiry for the U.S. intelligence officials, wouldn't it, if they, they knew? Well, except that I think they were trying to recruit me on behalf of the U.S. because they were all close U.S. allies. It was Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, who are all super close allies of the United States. And the CIA very often when they recruit somebody, especially if it's an American citizen, they want a hands-off approach so they can deny any plausibility that it was them. So they very often use close allies to recruit on, your, on their behalf. How does so, somebody Well, there is a possibility. Him? I believe it was on their I believe it was on behalf. The Russians never tried to recruit me. They just put me on a watch list because when your parents, for instance, I had a friend in the United States working in the NSA and he married a Russian lady. So that he she got put on the FBI watch list. If you marry somebody that's a foreigner and you have classified clearance or top secret, or whatever, they're gonna put you on a watch list. So the KGB put me on the watch list just because of who my wife's parents were. My wife's parents had to report to the KGB that she was married to a foreigner once I came to live in Russia. But they never bother me. I mean, I'm not defending the KGB, but at least in my case, they're always friendly to me. I was always like, listen, they would ask me a few questions when I was coming and going. One time they picked me up at the airport, gave me a ride, asked me some questions. And it was always it always came down to I was never nervous. And I'm like, guys, let's cut to the chase. I'm on your watch list. I'm on the watch list of my wife's parents. I'm not here to cause any troubles. And they're like, OK, cool. As long as you know we're watching you, everything good. They never tried to recruit me. So who, who did try to recruit you and how did they approach you to do to try recruitment? That was the Pakistani ISI, the Saudi intelligence, and the UAE intelligence. So I don't remember the names of them. When I was at conferences or I was traveling on behalf of Microsoft, they would approach me with job offers. I got job offers all the time, but they'd approach me with really strange job offers. And they were just like, you'd ask what you'd be doing or where you'd be working. They're always very nonspecific. The most clear one of all was Pakistan. Um, Pakistan, I was in Islamabad at the time. I was meeting with members of cabinet and high-level government officials on behalf of Microsoft. And there was this guy that was hanging around as a security detail. 
and he was always in, he wasn't like off to the side and he never really spoke much to me, but it was just casually. And he was also hanging around my hotel, but at my hotel, when you stay in the hotels, I did in the places I did, there's always spies and always kinds of stuff there. I mean, not, you can find these news articles, but this guy was in the lounge sometimes and I never thought really much about it. And one time he approached me and he's like, do you ever think I'm moving and living in Pakistan? I'm like, well, I like Pakistan. I like coming here, but I got a family, not really of interest. He's like, no, really, you can get a private house and you'll have gardeners and maids and we'll pay you a million dollars a year and just come work for a few years and then you can leave if you want. And I'm like, well, what would I be doing? And he's like, well, you know, stuff for the government, kind of like you are now. You'd be a liaison to Microsoft. And then it just became very clear that this guy, I knew he was already the security for some of the members of parliament and so forth. So he was ISI. And the other approaches from uh, UE and Saudi were similar. The Saudi one was kind of funny, though, because I was giving a, uh, a talk on high-performance computing, and I was making a joke. Somebody says, because they, well, they put, first of all, they made this extra session. It was kind of private. And when I went in, I realized there were like 10 microphones duct taped. They didn't even use splitters to the podium. And I remember this because there were more microphones on my podium than there were people in the audience. <laughs> and I learned that everybody in the audience, because this was, I was speaking for normally 100, 500, 1,000, 5,000 people. And this one session was closed and only like five people in it. And they were all government officials. But I made a joke. So he's like, what would you use high performance computing for? And I said, well, you could use it for you know, trying to find oil deposits or process uh spatial data or whatever you want or i just said joking that you could use it to calculate missile trajectories but nobody's doing that here right and a guy sends it goes no no i work for the saudi minister of defense i'm very interested keep speaking about missiles and i'm like okay and so afterwards somebody approached me and he's like do you ever think about moving to saudi arabia i'm like no nah, that's definitely never crossed my mind <laughs> and he's like no don't worry foreigners they live in compounds and in the compounds you know they have alcohol and movies. And as long as you don't do anything else on compounds, he said, you could come here, work here for a few years and be rich and then go on your very way. We pay you, you know, all this money. And I'm like, nah, that's okay. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, this sounds, this to me, this whole thing, all the ingredients sound like something HBO would make a miniseries about. Yeah. And we're just waiting for the exposure. I mean, I, I got snuck into the Saudi, I got snuck into Saudi Arabia one time by the Royal family when my visa had a problem. So, I mean, Microsoft, when you travel from Microsoft, you make a phone call, you have no problems with ambassadors. I've had ambassadors turn down visas on just BS reasons. And I make a phone call and then the Ministry of Foreign Affairs calls him and says, give the guy his visa. Because that's how Microsoft rolled. I mean, we had people, because it was the Middle East, we had one time, there's a revolution in the country, Microsoft sent in helicopters to pull people out. So I had extraction insurance. I had all that kind of stuff. And I know how crazy everybody sounds, every, the sounds to everybody. And I'm going very fast because we only have half an hour. But you can check out my website. I have the court documents to prove everything I've said about the, everything I've said about the, extraditions and the, the lying about the birth or the birth state the thing is i have the court documents about everything have microsoft released anything official regarding you i mean presumably the intelligence no. agencies would have spoken to them well i don't know if microsoft spoken to them or not. once you're wanted by the fbi it's hands off microsoft's not going to get involved i'm not bill gates okay so any questions uh for chad put them in the chat i've noticed Russell Tayson has just made a very astute Street Fighter 2 related observation there. I'm not sure what to make of that. I'm assuming I'm Guile. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with that area of pop culture. Well, I, I'm a little bit familiar with video game, not particularly that one. I didn't see the comments. So I mean, I, I'm more of a Fallout person. <laughs> okay, cool. So tell me about what, what's next then in terms of the process. Is there something you're waiting on? Is there a date in mind? When, when, will, we, when will this move forward in any way? Well, the problem is I have chronic, I have a chronic kidney disease and neurological problems. So I'm slowly dying here. I need to travel for medical care urgently. The FBI knows that. I'm on a small island of 35,000 people. I'm one of the smallest countries in the world. Our hospital here does not have a cardiac unit or an MRI machine. They cannot provide the surgery that I need here. We cannot fly a doctor in. 
because we need large surgical equipment. And we've been fighting them in court for years. And every time we file anything, I got a letter from the NSA yesterday. Yeah, that was fun. So the FBI blocks our FOIA requests. They say I'm a fugitive. They don't have to answer anything. They're blocking going to trial. I've offered to turn myself in if they will allow me to get medical care and they will go to trial without delay. They said no. In fact, September 2022, last year, we forced them before a judge again. They walked in and accused me of time travel again. They didn't walk in and say he's a time traveler, but they walked in and made accusations that could only be true if I had done time travel. Like I was not in the United States at the time. They've made accusations of time traveling crimes at least three different times. What, what and the then they said, the, I mean, just to get the other perspective, what are the crimes oh, you are being drug dealing? Of? Drug dealing, uh, evasion, uh, evasion of the U.S. government, evasion of a warrant. I mean, human trafficking, all kinds of crazy things. And they went in and they first of all, they said they refused to go to trial and they can hold people in the United States prison for years, eight years. They held a guy in Erie County eight years without a trial. And they said it was a speedy trial. And then they said, we're not going to allow you to turn yourself in. Uh, and if we do, we would hold you without a trial. We're not going to try and extradite you again, but you can't travel because we'll arrest you on Interpol notice. So the only way you can turn yourself in, and this comes from the FBI, is for me to turn myself into the U.S. Embassy in St. Kitts. The problem is there is no U.S. Embassy in St. Kitts, and they knew that when they said that. They were just trying to get out away from the judge before the judge asked too many more questions. And my lawyer objected, said there is no U.S. Embassy in St. Kitts, and the, and the FBI knows that. And the judge is like, well, I guess the guy can die. Um, well, I mean, firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your health. Uh, I mean, it's... I don't know what I don't know what the solution is is here for sure. Publicity. I mean, That's the yeah. only thing that solves these cases. Every case, if you Google prosecutorial misconduct, especially with regarding the FBI, they did this to the US Women's Olympic team, similar. They covered up what Larry Nasser did to the US Women's Olympic team teenagers, the underage girls, for over a year. It was an independent journalist that exposed them. And once he exposed them, the head of the FBI in Indiana was fired, among other people. And now the US Women's Olympic team is suing the FBI for one billion dollars. And it's the same type of cover-up in my case now. They're not trying to recruit me anymore. That's long gone. Now they're what they're trying to do is cover this up because if they have to go before a judge, if they were to go to a trial and a jury, they would have to walk in before the jury and the judge and say, um, we forged the child's birth state in a court record. We lied about Mr. Howard's whereabouts in November 2006. And we lied about where he's from Titusville, among other things. Sorry, judge, we're not perfect. He's never, they're never, ever going to do that. They will do anything they can to prevent from going to trial because they know they lied from the beginning. And you mentioned the charges of trafficking moments ago. I mean, is, is this the way they're terming the the way your son was, uh, the way your son left the USA? Or is this a separate thing they're trying to charge? <laughs> Who knows? They just, they throw things at the wall. I mean, they've never formally indicted me for human kidnapping. They did formally indict me for kidnapping. Uh, but these other charges are just things they throw in diplomatic communication. So what they do is when, they, when the government won't extradite me or cooperate, they send down diplomatic communications and they use what I call the magic maybe and they'll put in a diplomatic communication things like, we have evidence that Mr. Howard may be a former drug dealer. And the problem is when a foreign government receives that in a, a diplomatic communication, the word maybe just like right through their brain. They just see drug dealer, U.S. government, and that's it. And then I'm left on the hook to prove that I'm not a drug dealer, which is like proving a negative, right? And then I eventually create enough doubt and I point to them the word maybe. And they're like, well, I guess they did say maybe. And I'm like, why would they put that in there other than they're just trying to slander me? And eventually I bring them around. But that's the whole problem right there. I mean, I remember the U.S. Embassy was expelled from the country here over trying to abduct my son. So that's on record. So, I mean, if this is one grand conspiracy as a, you know, a cover to get you on other charges, why would they go to the effort to abduct your son then? Because surely that just feeds into this narrative about kidnapping in, in the realm of the, you know, the custody battle. It's, it's just, it's all so bonkers. I mean, some of the reactions are just bureaucratic uh, inertia. 
But this is way beyond bureaucratic inertia because the number of people, the number of documents we've received through FOIA requests and court documents and so forth, there are hundreds of people involved in trying to get me. There are four U.S. embassies that have tried to get me, and I have court records of all of this. The U.S. Embassy in Moscow, the U.S. Embassy in Cyprus, the U.S. Embassy in Barbados, and the U.S. Embassy in Bulgaria, and I have court records of all of their involvements. In fact, the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, and this is in a U.S. federal court record, the FBI asked the U.S. Embassy in Moscow to get the KGB involved and come pay us a house visit, and they did. They came to the house. And they're like, hey, we know you. And they're like, yeah, I know you too. And they basically asked me a few questions. They asked, well, they asked, I wasn't at the house at the time they came. They asked my wife's parents. But it was the same type of thing. And they knew my wife's parents too because they had security clearances. So I mean, they just buggered off. But they, they, I have a court record of them proving their involvement of asking the Russian government to come check on me. Got you. But I mean, I think I'm not sure that quite gets to the heart of my question regarding the attempt to abduct your son. How would they benefit from taking a, a young man out of the country who, who's clearly on your side, outspoken about the fact that he's not been kidnapped. Well, how would they benefit in any way from doing that? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Then they and, could uh, prove they could get him out and I wouldn't have him here anymore and they'd still be chasing me. I don't know. I mean, he's 27. He said he was never kidnapped by anybody, let alone me, and they're still chasing me. So I, I, no, there's so much of this that doesn't make sense. It, it just, I, I wish I had all the answers. I can tell you what I can prove in court documents, but that I don't know the reasoning. In what way did they attempt to kidnap him? What happened exactly? Um, when I was in Bulgarian prison, they came here at a regional, no, they, they sent an RSO, which is a regional security officer from Barbados. He came here, he showed up at the house where my son and my other two kids were and my wife. And he says, I'm here to take the child. My wife is a Russian lawyer. And she told him to bugger off. And he says, well, I'm going to come back with a with an angle grinder. I'm going to cut in the, I'm going to cut these burglar bars off and I'm going to take him. So she called the uh, the police and a lawyer here and the local police showed up before he came back and told him, listen, uh, this is illegal. You can't do any of this. You don't have any local court orders. The attorney general called him into his office and he told him, he says, listen, I don't care who you are from the U.S. Embassy or not. You can't just come in and act without a court order. So. If you don't leave the country within 24 hours, I'm going to formally expel you. And if you show back up here again, you're going to spend some time on the inside of a Caribbean prison. And then after that, my ex-wife showed up here. The FBI paid for her flight and her hotel and her lawyer and international cell phone for her to come down and go to court to try and get him after they failed to get him. And the courts here turned her down as well and sent her packing back home. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned before that you have a website and you have information that corroborates your story and your side of yep. the things here. What sort of things do you have on this website that you can point to? Uh, and, and I have the excerpts. I have excerpts of the most important court documents that are up there that'll explain everything. And we have a telegram group. If anybody wants full access, like if a journalist wants the thousands of pages of documents I have from multiple countries and multiple states, we can provide them a telegram. But the website has the excerpts of the most important ones. It has like the court order showing where they changed my son's birth state to Pennsylvania, showing where they lied about how I was not in the United States. Because in the very same indictment, in the indictment, now the FBI website says I just retained the child. Okay. But that's not what they told the press. And that's not what the indictment says. The indictment says that I physically removed him. And that's what they told the press. They told the press that I physically came in and kidnapped him. But in the indictment that says I removed him physically, November 6006, in the evidence list, it says I wasn't in the United States at the time, according to immigration records. So even in the indictment, the indictment self-conflicts itself as well. It's insane. So he was placed on a plane by the authorities on his own. He traveled alone to London. Yep. Yeah. And, to fly. and you have corrobor documents that corroborate that as well. Not only do I have the documents, I have the passport records. I have the order of the judge ordering the police to do it. And the FBI testimony testifies that he was on the flight, put on the flight by a judge. I mean, this seems like a lot of effort from the authorities oh, yeah. to go out to pursue this. Mm -hmm. And 
is your has your ex-wife released anything public about this? I know you don't have a great relationship, and I know no, she won't talk to anybody. In fact, when journalists show up at her door, she's like, "I didn't know any of this was still going on." Meanwhile, she's sending letters to judges asking them to add additional sanctions, and she wants reparations. So she's a flat-out liar. I mean, she journalists show up, she pretends like none of this is going on, but she's still filing crap against me in court. This is all very strange, and I just wish we had longer than half an hour to get stuck right into it, Chad. But I suppose, you know, suffice to say, I hope you get the medical care you deserve as, as a human being. I hope Appreciate that it. works its way out for you. And uh, I, I hope you get the resolution you deserve. They can have on, me back sometime. As well. I, I'm sure, I'm sure they will, for sure. But, uh, it, you know, despite the uh, the rather serious topic, it has been a really interesting conversation that I've enjoyed a lot. Uh, so maybe you could just let people know where they can find out all, all this information you've spoke about. Yeah, the best place to go is alexisnotmissing.com. And on there, I have a bunch of podcasts. I'll add this one. I assume you're going to have a recording later, and I'll add the recording up there. And um, there's also all my socials up there. I'm on TikTok. I'm I'm, fer I'm fairly new to YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, but you've got to give me a boost on all those socials as well. But yeah, alexisnotmissing.com. Chad, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Take care.